June 15, 2015, the unthinkable happened. Dylan Roof, at 21 years of age, walked into a church in South Carolina. You know the story. The Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church there in South Carolina. He walked in with armor under his clothing and he sat down amongst a Bible study. He sat down in this Bible study, get this, for one hour as people worshipped, as people encourage one another as people challenge one another to persevere in the faith he had one intention and that was to harm everybody in the room for an hour he listened as they talked about biblical truth can you believe this can you imagine a person going into a house of worship a place that was intended for good just to harm people. After sitting there for an hour, Dylan Roof, he pulled out a gun and he shot and killed six women and three men. It was his only intention to harm them. Can you imagine somebody going into a place where there's worship happening, where there's people thinking about the Word of God, where people are being encouraged in their faith and reminded of the good news of Jesus. They're being reminded of all that Jesus has done for them and all that Jesus is. And someone comes in to oppose that. He only meant opposition to them. Here you have a church worshiping, intended for good things to happen and to come about it. And somebody comes in to oppose that. I'm going to tell you this morning, when we come to our text, when we look at Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the weeds, that's exactly what we will see. We will see kingdom work going forward, kingdom mission going forward. And there's an intentional plot to thwart the plan of God. There's intentional opposition to go against all that God would would do and all that God would say. There's an intentional plan to oppose kingdom work. I want us to see three main ideas this morning. We'll see that there is kingdom opposition because of a real enemy. We'll see that there is kingdom opposition because of the evil in our midst. And lastly, we'll see that kingdom opposition points us to what's to come. We're diving into the subject kingdom opposition, but before we go to work, will you pray with me? Father, we need you this morning. We need you to be present among us. We need you to draw our hearts into you. We need you to give us truth. Give us understanding. Help us, Father, to see you more clearly. I pray, God, that you would move me aside, that that your words would come to the forefront, that, that you would think with my mind and speak with my mouth those things that you would say and do. Help us, God, to push those things on our agenda aside that we may hear from you this morning. And Lord, we'll be faithful to give you all the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in a series for several weeks now talking about the kingdom of God. 
It was Jesus who instructed the disciples to pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question then becomes, what is the kingdom of God? We've defined the kingdom of God this way as the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. The kingdom of God can be defined as the healing, renewing exercise of God's ruling power. We've said that the reality of the kingdom of God points us to the understanding that there is a king who is in control. This king wants to renew, this king wants to revive and to transform us so much so that his kingdom reign and rule would be on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God points you and I to a very real king. This is the very reason, the very thing that becomes offensive in antiquity. Remember what Jesus would do in Jesus' day? He would go around in the Gospels saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And people were incredibly offended by this. This is the very thing, this kingdom thought, this kingdom theology, this coming kingdom is the very thing that got Jesus killed. Talking about a kingdom coming was offensive to so many. The reality of a kingdom points to a king. And you and I get this, because there is a very real king, we are not left to our own devices. I love it. Because there is a God who is in control, we are not left on our own. We are not left to fend for ourselves. But there is a king who is in control. There's a king who loves us and cares for us. See, the space in which God's space and our space come together is no longer the temple of Jerusalem. The space at which our space and God's space comes together, it is Jesus himself. When we talk about God's kingdom coming, it is to talk about God's future breaking into the present. It is heaven arriving on earth. We find that very thing, the kingdom coming, is Jesus himself. It's heaven on earth. It is the future coming into the present. It's Jesus. And people of Jesus' day knew that Jesus was making this declaration and they killed him for it. Because it was so incredibly offensive. This is exactly what Jesus does with the parables. It's been said that the parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. In fact, Jesus himself says in Matthew 13, the point of the parables are to make known the secrets of heaven. Jesus gives us the parables that our eyes may be open, that our ears may hear, and that our hearts may have understanding. Listen to what the old Bible scholar N.T. Wright had to say about the kingdom. He said the whole point of Jesus' work was to bring heaven to earth and to join them together forever, to bring God's future into the present and to make it stick there. But when heaven comes to earth and finds earth unready, when God's future arrives in the present while people are still asleep, there will be explosions and there were. I love this. Because not only 
uh, does this point us to the future, uh, being in the present, but, but it points us to God being at work in you and I and wants to send us into His harvest to do His kingdom work that we may be bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. In God's kingdom, police brutality is done away with. In God's kingdom, there's no more need to march or protest. In God's kingdom, every child has a family. In God's kingdom, every person earns a living wage. In God's kingdom, there's no such thing as absentee fathers. In God's kingdom, there is no more disparity in education. In God's kingdom, everybody and their mom has fresh water. In God's kingdom, sex slavery is done away with. And God wants to use you and I to be a part of that. He wants to use us to send us into the harvest that we may bring His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, on earth just as it is in heaven. See, God's kingdom is future, but it's also present that we and you and I are to be agents of His kingdom work. Yet, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to be a part of God's kingdom work. Jesus this morning in our parable, he continues this agricultural theme from the previous sower parable. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that sows good seeds in the field and the enemy comes and sows seeds among the wheat. And we learn in in the explanation that one who sows good seed is Jesus and the field is the world and the good seeds are believers in Jesus And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy is the devil. And one of the things that we've got to see is that there is kingdom opposition because there is a real enemy. There is kingdom opposition. There is opposition to the work of the kingdom because there is a real enemy. And you and I cannot be fooled. There's an adversary. There is an accuser of the followers of Jesus. There's the prince of the air who has all intentions. He has plans to devour, to deceive us, and to eat us alive. There's a real enemy. And we ought to see that God sows good seed, but there is an enemy that sows bad seed. The stories of Jesus in the Gospels show us Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the enemy comes along, Satan comes along and begins to tempt Jesus after he knows that he is weak and weary. He's tired and hungry and Satan comes along to begin to tempt Jesus. He says, if you are the son of man, why don't you take these stones and turn them into bread? And Jesus responds to him, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you are the Son of God, why don't you fall down and worship me? He takes them to him to the highest point of a mountain and he says, all this could be yours if you fall down and worship me. Here, even Jesus, the Savior of the world, is being opposed. His mission, his, his work is being opposed by the devil. There is a real enemy. 
this tells us that not only do we have a God who empathizes with our weakness, not only do we have a God who knows because He was tempted like you and I will be tempted, but we also have one who sees the real enemy and can seek him out as in control of even a real enemy. There's an enemy whose job is to kill, steal, and destroy. And we need to know that all that God would want to do through you and I to bring forth the kingdom of heaven on earth, all that he would want to do through us will be opposed by a real enemy. Even the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that he wanted to go to the church of Thessalonica, but he said that Satan hindered us. There's a real enemy, and you and I need to work for the good of the kingdom with an understanding that there is a real enemy who wants to see us, uh, who wants to devour us. There's a real enemy who does not want us adopting children. There's a real enemy who does not want us feeding the poor. There's a real enemy who does not want to see South Memphis folks doing life with East Memphis folks. There's there's a real enemy who is completely against the kingdom work that God would have to do through and in the church. There's a real enemy opposing that kingdom work. There's a, a real enemy who does not want to see rocky marriages survive. There's an enemy who who does not want to see single people completely devoting their bodies to God and and waiting for sex uh, for God. There's a real enemy who wants to oppose kingdom work. And you and I need to know that. We need to see that. And we need to trust God that He will fight the battles for us. Uh, I saw one time... um, this Jimmy Kimmel skit, and uh, it was years ago. Jimmy Kimmel did this skit, and uh, he set up this table at this major fair. There's thousands of people at this fair. He set up this table, and I think he dressed up in like an American flag suit. And he, he put down uh, uh, this petition, and this fake petition, and he's asking people to sign his petition Get this, to stop women's suffrage. He's saying, sign my petition. I want to stop women's suffrage. And if you know, women's suffrage is the right for women to vote. But obviously it sounds like women's suffering, you know. So here he is at this fair saying, look, I want to, I want to stop women's suffrage. I, I need you to sign my petition today. Tens and tens, I mean, tons of people were signing his petition at this fair. They were signing it because they did not know that he was deceiving them. They didn't know, and it was a joke, but they didn't know that he was really, if this was a real petition, he was their enemy. Women were signing this petition to stop women's suffrage. Can you believe that? Women signing the petition and they're literally giving away their right to vote with every letter of their name. And he, he presented himself as a friend and yet he was actually an enemy. And that's what we see in this parable. 
we see that there is a real enemy who has intentional plans to present himself as a friend that he might appear to look like the wheat, but he's really weeds. God says, no, no, no. You're an enemy. And you and I need to work. We need to fight for the kingdom. We need to work for the kingdom with the understanding that there is a real enemy. And he's asking for our signatures. And we need to work with that understanding. Secondly, we've got to see that there is a kingdom. There is kingdom opposition because of evil in our midst. There is kingdom opposition because of evil in our midst. Look at verse 25. A man sowed good seed, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So the devil has sown uh, some of the sons of evil. He's sown seeds of the sons of evil and among the sons of the kingdom that Jesus sowed. Get this. Now the sons of evil are not next to, they're not outside of the sons of of the kingdom. They are among. Whew. That's heavy stuff. The, the enemy has intentionally sown seeds. He's put his sons and his daughter among the wheat. What you and I need to hear is there are not only people who are wheat in the church, but there are weeds as well. And they're not outside of the church. That's not the the point of this passage here. They are among us. They, they, They look like wheat. They look like people of God. But they're not. I want to tell you this morning, some of them may have armor like Dilling Roof under their clothes. But then some of them are holding Bibles with their names on it. Weeds and wheat mixed in together. The the enemy gives special attention toward the work of the church. He cannot uproot the sons of the kingdom, but he can sow his own seeds among them. And he will do his best to do so. Look at verse 27. Jesus is telling the parable. He says, And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? And they they know that he did sow good seed. And then he goes on to say, How then does it have weeds? You know what they're asking? Why is there so much evil among us? How can a good God allow so much evil among us? And that's the question many of us may have today. How can a God of love allow so much evil to happen among us? How, how can a God of love allow the Dylan Roos to slip into the church house with worshipers? How can evil be among us? How... How can a God of love allow this to happen? I've asked the same question myself before. You may be asking that question. Here the disciples are asking this question. How did this wheat get here? 
Where did these weeds come from? They're asking the question that all of us may have asked at one point in our life. And Jesus responds to them by saying, An enemy has done this. And I know that this doesn't ex- explain everything, but, but what Jesus is saying is, He's saying, God did not do this. There's an enemy that has done this. There is an enemy who is opposing the work of God, the kingdom mission of God. There is an enemy who is opposing the God of love among the church folk. There's an enemy. Saying, Jesus, we've got all this evil in the church. And all you have to say is that there is an enemy that has done this. Jesus, that's all you have to say? There's a brokenness all around us and all you can say is there's an enemy that's done this? In this statement, Jesus, He protects the glory of God. He shields the glory of God by saying, this is not God, there is an enemy that has done this. He wants us to understand that this is not God's doing. God is not responsible for the evil in the church. If the enemy can do anything, he will scheme to be against, he will scheme to attack the way believers in Jesus love one another and the way that they love the world. If he will do anything, he will come up against our love for the church and our love for the world. That's that's what he wants to do. He wants to come up against that. He knows that one of the primary ways that God moves His kingdom forward is through the vehicle of love. Augustine said this, Evils abound in the world in order that the world may not engage our love. See, even the evil in our midst, it is through love that we bring the kingdom to our city. And what's interesting about our parable is when the disciples ask to pull the weeds out, when they ask to say, hey, we see these weeds, do you want us to go pull them? Jesus says no. And you know why? Jesus understands that there are times that you may not be able to tell the difference between weeds and wheat. And he does not want to harm the wheat Jesus knows there are times where the weeds look just like the wheat. And Jesus says, no. Don't wait. Don't pull the the wheat yet. Don't pull the weeds just yet. Wait until harvest time. I think that this is a caution and a message of encouragement to God's people. I meet people so often who have been hurt by the church. And what God is teaching us through this parable is that you and I ought to persevere even through that church hurt. Even by... Even from being harmed by people inside the church, evil within the church, God is saying, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed. You ought to persevere in the kingdom. Because there will always be evil among us. There will always be folk who are looking to kill, steal, and destroy because they are sons and daughters of evil. 
makes me think about this, the, the 2009 film called The Orphan. Uh, now, I do not recommend you go find this film and watch it, but uh, it's a family who, who was troubled. And uh, the wife was recovering from alcoholism, and they had lost their third child. Uh, it was a stillborn child. And they thought to, to repair all of our brokenness, we're going to go adopt a child. And so they go to uh, this orphanage and they find this little nine-year-old Russian girl. They find this Russian girl and they decide to take her home and they invite her into their mix. Well, this Russian girl has some major issues. She's actually psycho. And not only is she psycho, but she's actually 33 years old. She's a grown woman. And here they have, they've invited this, this woman into their house and all of a sudden she goes psycho and she's trying to harm the little kids and she's trying to harm their other two kids and she's trying to harm the wife and she, she, she harms this, uh, this, 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 uh, this, this woman that came from the orphanage and they realize we have an animal in our home. We have invited a stranger into our mix. She was an enemy among them. But she was originally disguised, get this, as wheat. They thought that she was kind. They thought she was just a sweet little nine-year-old girl. But she turned out to be an enemy. And that's what we see in this parable, that there, there is a difference. Between the wheat and the weeds. It's the story of our parable. And lastly, what we've got to see is that the kingdom opposition points to what's to come. Jesus says that at the end of the age, He will send His angels to separate the weeds from the wheat. And the weeds will be gathered and burned, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Jesus says the weeds will go to hell. What we see here is that there will come a day in which those that have not trusted in Jesus will be forever separated from Him. And those that did not put their trust in Him will enjoy fellowship. Those that did put their trust in Him will enjoy fellowship with Him forever. Jesus says the righteous will shine like the sun. It is the idea of the just that those who are justified will shine like the sun. Jesus is pointing to those that have been declared righteous. He's, been, he's pointing to those who, who have recognized their sin and who have said yes to Jesus' grace, yes to His death, burial, and resurrection. Those who are righteous and justified. And what Jesus is doing is He's making a clear distinction. He's saying that there is a difference between the wheat and the weeds. Jesus is pointing us to the reality that there's a difference between the just and the unjust. That there's a difference between those who are followers of Jesus Christ and those who are not. There's a difference between those who have trusted in Jesus and those who are still trusting in themselves. There's a difference between those who are working for the good of the kingdom and those who are not. Jesus says that there is a clear distinction between the two. 
And He is uncovering this parable. And He's letting us know. He's saying to the church. He's saying that, that ears have not heard. That eyes have not been opened. That hearts have not understood. And He wants to shine light on the secret from this parable. And He wants us to know that there is a difference. He's uncovering the truth. He's helping us to embrace the truth. He's letting us know that there's a difference between the just and the unjust. He's letting us know that there's a difference between the righteous and those who are not righteous. He's letting us know that there's a difference between the wheat and the weeds. And there's a difference inside the church. And what you and I have to do is we have to examine our hearts to say, where am I? Have I understood Jesus to be Lord and Savior? Have I received His death and His burial and His resurrection on my behalf? Where am I? Am I weeds among wheat? And I love this because at the end of our passage, Jesus says, On that day, at the end of the age, I will allow my servants, my angels, to go in and to, to pull up the weeds and to bundle them up and to throw them into the fire. And Jesus is saying, There will come a day when all of us will have to face the truth that we held on to. All of us will have to face the truth that we said yes or no to. And there will come a day when we will spend eternity one way or the other with God or without God. And he makes it very clear that when he throws some, those weeds into the fire, that there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says to them, there is a difference. There is a difference who have, of those who have embraced me and said yes to me. And there's a difference from those who have not. Jesus, through this parable, He is uncovering this secret truth. The secret truth of the kingdom. He's using it as a sign to point us forward. Uh, I, I grew up in St. Louis and... Um, you know, I, I, all of my life, and I've been in Memphis for eight years. And so I've, I've done the drive back and forth from St. Louis to Memphis more times than I can count. I can do it in my sleep now. In fact, I know I have done it in my sleep a couple times. Uh, and, but it never fails. I'm driving the four and a half hour journey from St. Louis. It never fails Every time I get to West Memphis, my heart just feels good. Look, West Memphis has never looked better than when I'm on a drive from St. Louis. When I see the signs of West Memphis, I know, get this, that I'm close to home. And West Memphis is not my home, but it is pointing me in the direction of home, of rest. And that's what this parable is doing for you and I this morning. The parable is not our home, but it uses earthly terms to ex explain heavenly truth. And it is pointing us to the reality that all of us will have a home one day. 
Whether you say yes to Jesus or not, you will have a home. And what God is saying through the parable of the weeds is there's a difference between those who are on my kingdom mission, who are working for kingdom good, and there's a difference from those who are not. Saying there's a difference. What will it be for you? What will the choice be for you? When you've encountered your own brokenness and your own sin, have you pushed away the truth of the good news of Jesus that there is one who came and died on your behalf, who said yes to death, he was obedient to death, and he he embraced it all out of love for you and I? What will it be for you? Will you settle with just being weeds? Or would you say yes to embracing the truth of the gospel and being wheat and bearing fruit in our city that the kingdom of heaven may come in Memphis, Tennessee and the world. That the kingdom of heaven may come through us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you do business with God? Would you talk to Him in the quietness of your own heart? Would you meet with Him? And maybe for the first time, this is an opportunity for you to say yes. To say yes to His death, His burial, and His resurrection on your behalf. To say yes... Father, thank You. Lord, I pray that You would continue to work in our hearts, that You would not let us rest until we say yes to You. Father, I pray that You would help us to see You in all of Your glory. Help us, God, to examine our hearts. And as you are tugging on us, God, I pray that we would say yes to you. Lord, we ask that you would indeed let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. On earth, in our church, in Memphis, Tennessee, as it is in heaven. Help us, God. Help us to say yes to you. Father, now we do pray that you will... Bless these tithes and these offerings that we're about to receive. We pray, God, that you would multiply them for your name's sake. Father, we pray that you would use them in the harvest. That your fame would grow because of them. That hungry mouths would be fed because of them. That kingdom mission and kingdom work would move forward in Memphis, Tennessee because of them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.